This week we have been in our Focus 52 chapter in the book of Habakkuk. And uh, I thought about tonight giving $5 to the first person that could spell it without looking. But uh, the book of Habakkuk is um, it's a powerful book in essence because I feel like it's so uh, relatable to where we are right now and what's going on. Habakkuk is crying out to the Lord and he says, how long will injustice prevail in the earth and will corrupt people be able to receive the blessing of the Lord and how long is this going to happen? The Lord said, I know, I know what I'm doing. I've got this together. And it's interesting because Habakkuk's book is not a conversation between him and, a, and another prophet, him and another crony. It's a conversation recorded between him and God. Yes. And he's griping to the Lord about what's going on uh, in the southern kingdom. He says, I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated. And God said, I'm, good, I'm a good note keeper. I, I take good records. And I know, I know, exactly, uh, I know exactly what I'm doing. And so uh, Habakkuk opens up his mind and his heart to the will of the Lord. And he says, okay, then, what are you going to do? And the Lord says, I'm going to let the Chaldeans come, and I'm going to use evil people to do my work in the earth and to avenge my name. And he said, Lord, how, how can you do that? How can you let corrupt people bring harm to your people? And the Lord, I'm, I'm giving you the fast forward version right here because I've got somewhere that I want to take you tonight. But the Lord basically says to him, Habakkuk, I'm God and you're not. And the thing that I cannot afford for you to forget while you're living in current trouble is the end. I cannot afford for you to get so distracted by what appears to be the prosperity of the wicked that you forget the end of this story. What I'm saying to you tonight over the next few moments, I'm going to teach to you and preach to you a little bit. And I want to get a principle to you that you cannot afford to forget. Look at somebody close to you and tell them, Pastor's fixing to tell us something. What I want to tell you tonight is that we are going to be victorious. Amen. We're going to win. The battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. We need to be reminded tonight that it's not by might. Come on, somebody. It's not by power. But it's by the Spirit of the living God. We are going to overcome. And so I'm going to spend the next few moments of time tonight discussing with you if I could we're going to uh, extract our text from our focus verse tonight but I want to tell you that it's important for you to keep your eyes on the end to keep your eyes on what's happening before us we're going to Habakkuk chapter 2 and I would just like to uh, read to you verse number 4 where the Lord has told Habakkuk, I'm getting ready to show you a vision, and I want you to write it down. And I want it to be very, very plain. And the vision, the beginning of this vision, is very simply this. He said, the soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. 
And here comes the prophetic word that's going to carry Habakkuk through to the end of this story. The just shall live by his faith. We hear it often, the just shall live by faith. But I want, I want you to read this very carefully. The just shall live by his faith. By his faith. This is a personal decision that you're going to make in your mind tonight. Whether or not you have started to quit or you've started to finish. Because the just shall live by his faith. And I want to talk to you tonight, if I could, this may make more sense in just a few moments, but I want to talk to you about the secret of the third prince. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. So there is a story that says there was once a king who issued a challenge to the princes of a neighboring land that whoever among them could... Over a long journey of varying landscapes, walk in a straight line to the king's castle. That they would have a right to marry the king's daughter. So the first prince embarked upon his journey, looking to his right and to his left, to be certain that he wasn't veering off in the wrong direction. But like you and I, despite his best efforts, The further he journeyed, the more off course he veered. The second prince was absolutely determined to look down, to keep his eye on his feet and be sure that every step was certain. He had made up in his mind that the best thing that he could do was to keep his eye on the path. And so as he watched So closely, the footfall of every step. He looked behind him and he realized that the direction he was coming from, nothing really looked familiar to him. And he looked in the direction that he was supposed to be going and he could not see the palace in the distance. So he realized, the second prince, that in looking down on the pathway, I have now lost my direction and he too ended up off of his course. But the third prince, he embarked on a journey, looking neither to the right or to the left. Not one time did he look down to be certain of his next footstep. Yet at the end, it was determined by the king that the third prince had walked in a straight line the entire journey. No one could figure out what his secret was and how he did it and how in the world He made this journey so impeccable and pure and clean and powerful and there was no aberration in his step. It was as though there was just some kind of magic that was leading him and guiding him. So finally he told them the secret and the third prince lifted up his voice and he said, All I did was look off into the far distance to the light that was in the crown of the castle. He said, I did not come to look at the landscape. I did not come to see what was on the right hand or the left hand. I started this journey to make it to the king's palace. And so I was not looking to the right for direction. I was not looking to the left for direction. I was looking to the finish line. 
The secret of the third prince is very simply this. It's easy in chaos and confusion to look to the right and to the left and to be lost in, in uh, amazement of how it is that evil can prosper in a world like this. And you feel like you've been done wrong and somebody ought to vindicate this and make it right. And before you know it, you had good intentions, but now you're caught up in the whirlwind of what should have been and what could have been and what you think is going to happen. And all of this sudden, you are disillusioned. I've watched people come to God and he changes their life and turns them around and establishes their going and puts their feet on a solid rock and after a while the church that they love and the God that saved them and all of the things that brought hope to their life now they become disillusioned because instead of looking forward they started looking up and down the pew and they started looking to the right hand and the left hand and now some saint who got carnal in their thinking has offended them and so the very church that was their salvation in a hopeless world has now become a detriment to them and the presence of God that at one time they hungered for and they longed for is no longer the driving force and their prayer meetings are not filled any longer with the goodness of the Lord and how he brought them out and how he turned them around and how he established their going but rather vernacular changes and now it's a place where God how long are you going to let the heathen rage how long long until you vindicate me how long until you turn this thing around but I feel like telling you tonight the secret of the third prince has got to get a hold of the hearts of God's people I have not come to look to the right or to the left I have not come to watch every step I know that in my struggle there will be times of uncertainty in my step but if I can keep my eyes on the prize if I can keep my eyes on the finish line I've got a feeling everything is going to be alright I grew up singing a song that says turn your eyes on Jesus look full in his wonderful face how do you look full in his wonderful face when you're always looking at mine Huh? You're always looking at your neighbor where you can find fault in their face. You can find fault in their ways. You know, folks, I want to tell you, nobody believes in you like your pastor, and I love you, and I thank God for you. But I'd be foolish. The scripture said that I would be foolish if I didn't believe that some of you great people were full of faults and failures because you're human. Paul said it like this. He said a man absolutely fools himself if he says that he is good. He said you're lying to yourself. You have deceived your own self. You have to, even, even the Messiah said in me there is no good thing. So understand me when I tell you tonight that you're never going to finish the course by justifying every fault and failure in your life by the failure of somebody else. What I'm about to say could be held against me, so I'm going to read my own rights. Tell me if I get this right, Brother Michael. I realize that whatever I say can be used against me in the court of law, but the court of people is by far worse than the court of law. 
I want to say something to you right now that could be misconstrued. But if you're looking for somewhere to get hurt, it can happen among church people. It's amazing to me how we approach the things of the kingdom of God. Now just put on your seatbelt and stay with me. I'm going to teach to you for a minute. It's funny to me how that you can get offended by somebody at church and you just quit coming. You get offended by somebody at church and you just walk away. As if you're walking away from the offense. Well, why, why, are, you, why are you leaving? Well, because so-and-so said this about me. Yet people get up every morning, go to work, and they work in environments where people gossip, they lie. If they get five minutes, they'd sleep with your wife or your husband because they're worldly people. And you get up every day and you go to work. And you say, well, the reason I got to go is I got to pay my bills. So all of a sudden, we see that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You don't mind getting up and going to work because you know there's a payday coming. Well, some of you are already ready to preach with me right here. What I'm saying is you go to work on Monday because you're looking at Friday. You go to work on Monday with your eyes set on the end of the week. And you go to work every month because your eyes are set on retirement. The thing that keeps you going is that you know there's a payment that's coming for the service that you've rendered. And because you don't see that transpiring in the spiritual world, it's easier to walk away and you hold God accountable. Now listen to me right here. You hold God accountable for the actions of people. You, you watch what I'm telling you. You come for a couple of weeks and maybe you got something going on in your life that's caused you to be a little socially sensitive. Was that politically correct enough? And now you're getting socially distanced and you think it's intentional. Got a little confusion going on in your life and you're kind of messed up and pastor's got his mind a million other places and walks in you're like mm, he didn't look at me I walked all the way up to that altar and he never even came and laid his hands on me how dare him he just leaves me out before you know it there's an incubation period where that festers in your soul. And it's not too, too long until the very thing that has provided protection to you has become the very thing that you resent the most. And it's turmoil inside. Now, I'm going to make you uncomfortable here, so just put your big boy britches on if you're a big boy. If you're, if you're a big girl, don't put on big boy britches. See, I had to be real careful right there. Because that, that offended spirit now is saying, he called me a big girl. He... I know how this works. He called me. <laughs> have, you, have you noticed how this society is? It's like, 
goodness gracious, if you sneeze, you didn't sneeze right for somebody. Because you should have said, excuse me, a different way than that. You should have held that in. You should have. Anybody here had the beloved pleasure of sneezing in your mask yet? Isn't that precious? I bet you carry two next time. <laughs> it's nasty. You watch people right now. You watch how sensitive they are. You walk around a store or go into a restaurant right now and somebody sneezes and everybody ducks like that's going to make a difference. You hear somebody like 50 feet across the restaurant, ah, chew like that. Oh, good. COVID just went right over your head. It missed you. You ducked. You're good. It's funny. I mean, you get in line with somebody and they got it pulled down like a diaper over their chin like they could care less about what's going on. So you pull yours down and talk to them. Then the next line you get into, somebody's got theirs pulled up and they can't even see. And you go ahead and pull yours down so you can catch their breath. And they're like, my life's not important to you. You can't win. You know what I'm saying? And while we look at this present world, we laugh about that. I want to tell you that that runs up and down the aisles. It runs up and down the aisles and our hearts get distracted and we start holding God accountable for things that people have done to us oh no I don't pastor no I don't you watch what happens when you get frustrated you don't lift your hands anymore you don't lift them because you're mad at somebody else so were you lifting your hands to those people before were you lifting your hands so they could see you worship because now motives are being revealed. If you worshiped before, you were mad at the person, but now you're not worshiping. That lets me know your motivation was so people could see you. Uh, what I feel like saying to somebody in this house tonight is that he's worthy of my praise if everybody in my circle hates my gut. Understand me when I tell you it's a healthy practice to give him praise for your job and your home and your family and whatever else you got. It's a good thing to give him thanks for your car and gas money to put gas in your car. It's another thing when you wake up and the car won't start and you don't have money for gas and you can still raise your hand and say, Lord, you're good anyhow. Lord, you're good anyhow. I think I'll get up and go to the house of the Lord. It's those mornings when you wake up and you don't feel so healed and you don't feel so well in your body, but you wake up and you take in that oxygen and you say Lord I want to thank you for health and life and strength I thank you that it could be worse I thank you Lord for every mountain I've climbed I thank you for every valley that I've walked through I thank you for every river that I've had to swim you have developed my character my worship is pure So if I could tonight, I would tell you that if we could liken the walk of the three princes to the worship of the saints, it would be very interesting to see the worship of the first prince. While he worships, he looks to his right and to his left to see who's watching him. And the secret of the second prince is that he worships looking down because there's something in him 
that he doesn't want anybody else to know. And he does not feel worthy to worship. So he worships with his face to the ground. I don't know how to interrupt your flow tonight without making you uncomfortable at all. But I just want to tell you that unless you're bowing in humble adoration, you're never going to touch God just looking down. He don't dwell in the bottom. Come on, somebody. The psalmist didn't say, I look to the valley where my help comes from. What did he say? I look under the hills. You know what that is? It's looking up. It's the secret of the third prince that I'm going to do whatever I have to do. Distractions may come. Oh, my, my. Disappointments may come. There may be things that try to lead my attention to the right or to the left. And things that cause me to look down and lower my head. But I've already made up in my mind that you are the glory and the lifter of my head. So it's easy in times like this that we live in today to be confused. And The only thing I know about where we are right now is that every day I find out I don't know anything. And the more you think you can control it, the more you realize you have no control whatsoever. You know, I'm like, where can you go right now? Just... Just name somewhere you can go that life feels normal. That's exactly right. This is the only place I come to that feels normal. That's it. It's like there's no fear. There's no confusion. When you walk into the house of God, it's like That peace that passes understanding. Isn't it a wonderful reprieve to just come into the house of the Lord and you don't have to think about paying bills? Now some folks, you can tell by the clipping of their fingernails during the... (laughs) Clink, clink. Clink, clink, man. Pastor's preaching tonight. Clink, clink. I'm just picking. I hope nobody did that tonight because you'll think I'm talking about you. Look, I don't mind you trimming your nails. Just, just don't touch your toenails during church. I'm just saying when you walk in here, you feel that deep settled peace. You can't, you can't, go, any, you can't go anywhere that people aren't just weird right now. Isn't it crazy? I mean, it, it blows my mind. The things that people do that scare them, and then the things they do that like don't don't make them afraid at all. It's it's wild. There's like the and I, I'm not, I'm not just trying to be lighthearted and make fun, but it it's amazing. I want to tell you how the spirit of fear and intimidation works. That when you you walk into that public place and you you walk past three tables with your mask on, they say you'll be seated right here, sir. So you sit down six inches away from somebody else's shoulder and take your mask off. And you feel perfectly safe. I I had a guy tell me this week, he said he flew here from uh, out west and he said every seat on my flight was full. Every seat, every single seat was full. 
I said, they didn't leave the middle one open. He said, every seat was full. And he said, I was sitting in my seat and had my mask down past my nose, just below my nose. And he said, the flight attendant came up and said, sir, I'm going to need you to pull your mask up over your nose. He said, so I reached for the pretzels that she had just given me because they said, you can take your mask off to eat your pretzels. He said, bro, it's never taken me so long to drink six ounces of water and eat a bag of pretzels. He said, for two hours, I ate a bag of pretzels and drank six, six ounces of water. You understand what pastor's trying to, trying to say to you tonight? There's things we need to do to take care of our health. That, don't, don't misunderstand me at all. I'm just saying... I feel there's a false sense of security in things of this world that make us feel like if you do this, you'll be safe. Yet when you're in the safest place you can be in the will of God, the enemy tries to make you afraid and make you feel like you have to fear. And at, at some point, please understand, I don't mean this arrogantly at all tonight because I believe in common sense. But at some point, you have got to, you've got to wake up with an understanding that God has got this whole thing under control. You've got to wake up and say, Lord, I'm going to do my part today, but I will not fear what man can do to me. Lord, I will not fear the arrow by day. I will not fear the terror by night. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? i tell you what I feel. I feel like these are the little things that we do that, that we feel like we're in control of. But people don't understand the spiritual parallels to what we're in right now. For instance, if you walk in somewhere and they've got the six-foot circles, but I'm standing there realizing I'm exactly six foot tall, and if I lay down, that next circle's going to be on my belly button. Because you know they paid some dude $4.50 an hour to come put that piece of blue tape down. You, you understand what I'm saying? And people are like, oh yeah, I'm confident in that. I'm sorry, I'm not. I'm not confident that sickness knows a boundary at six foot and it just stops right there. I'm not confident in that. I'm not confident that a single ply t-shirt over my mouth is going to keep me from getting it. See, I don't want y'all to think I'm being silly. What I'm saying is it's amazing how easy it is to talk people into putting your trust into things. Like, Has anybody ever asked the question, where did six foot come from? How in the world did they tell the, the whole wide world that six feet is the magic Answer. Because at, 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 at six foot and one inch, you are exempt. And I'm thinking, man, if I can smell that dude's breath back here, I am not exempt. If you can smell somebody's armpits through their T-shirt, then the t-shirt on their face isn't doing any good. You understand what I'm saying? It's amazing to me. And I, I know it sounds comical, but it's, it's true. The whole wide world says, that's how we fix it. 
But you come somewhere like this and you tell people, look, the trouble that you're having in your life right now, you're never going to fix it on your own. Because you've tried and you've tried and it's been unsuccessful. And it's like you're trying to convince them that God is recreating the world again. Because you say to them, God can handle this if you let him. It's like people's mind is blown. They can't. I, I, I'm, I don't know how to really tell this story without sounding goofy because I don't. My mind just works weird. We were talking about weird cult leaders and stuff in, in the timeline of history. Has anybody here ever heard of Jim Jones? So Jim Jones convinces all these people to go with him and they drink Kool-Aid and they all die together. That's the shortest story you've ever heard of Jim Jones. And, and I asked somebody the question, for real, I did. I said, how in the world does Jim Jones convince people that Kool-Aid is the answer when all I'm trying to get them to do is to believe Jesus is the answer and they don't want to believe it? Think about that now. Look, all you got to do is be faithful. Give God your best. Show up when the church doors are open. Worship with a sincere heart. And God will take care of that. And that is harder for people to believe than drink the Kool-Aid and die with Hoss over there. Can you imagine that? How do you, how do you convince people that the fix to their life is something so crazy and so extravagant when one drop of blood from Calvary's cross is enough to make the difference in your restless mind. It's enough to make the difference in your depressed emotions and how messed up your life. Listen, I understand that there are things that help people. You can get counseling and some of us probably need to do that on a, on a deeper level. I understand all that, so I'm not making light of it. But I'm just saying to you, you cannot convince me that laying for 45 weeks, for 45 minutes a week on some guy's sofa that doesn't even believe the Bible is going to make a difference that 45 minutes in the house of God can make in somebody. I'm not against 12-step programs. I believe in it, and I think they're good, and if that's what you need, then get it. But I also believe that as many steps as you need is however many steps you are from your pew to this altar right here, and God can do a work in your life. I believe that. It's, it's unreal. Whatever you need to stay encouraged, go for it, man. If it takes a coin or a medallion or a badge to keep you encouraged, that's great. But you've also got a testimony that you can stand up and say, six months ago, I didn't know if I was going to make it. Six, six months ago, I was an alcoholic. There ain't nobody in here that still believes with this preacher that he can take the taste of alcohol right out of your mouth. How many of you believe it? So, the principle is very simply this, that I'm trying to get to you. I, I don't know why we hold God accountable for things that God had nothing to do with. And we'll, we'll walk away, we'll quit praying, we quit fasting, and that adds fuel to the fire. Because the only thing worse than a 
then a, 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 a frustrated, a, a offended person is a carnal offended person. And you get to a certain place where it don't matter who it is. And I know people don't believe this, but read your Bible. If Jesus Christ himself said it, they wouldn't believe it. How is it that you can look into the loving eyes of the Messiah, walk out of that garden, and still be so condemned that you go and hang yourself? When one of the same disciples standing there with him draws out his sword and makes a big boo-boo and cuts the ear off of the soldier. There's a powerful principle here for you to consider. Anytime you've got your sword out and Jesus don't, you're probably fixing to make a mess for Jesus. That was free. He makes a mess of it. Creates a mess. And Jesus has to pick the guy's ear up and stick it back on. All that. And that never had to happen. But do you know there was a difference in a man that chose to look to the right or to the left and figure out how in the world to justify in a man that got him and said, you know what, I may have denied him. I may have made a mess in the garden. But I've got my eyes on the upper room. There is something beyond my current circumstance that is greater than what I'm facing. There is something in my future that is greater than what I'm looking at right now. Do not let yourself be consumed with this present moment and walk away from the very thing that's going to anoint you for your destiny. I feel like helping somebody in this house and telling you it's not over tonight. Don't you go getting hung up on your hang-ups. Get your eyes a little bit higher. Start looking towards that upper room. Come on, I dare you to buy into the secret of the third prince. There is something beyond here, a goal that I'm striving for, and I will make it. So, I'm hurrying tonight. So, Habakkuk is now in conversation with the Lord and God responds to him and says how he's going to do what he's going to do and that, that uh, he, he walks through a bunch of woe statements in, in the second chapter. is very powerful. The woe statements. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Judgment of God is coming. Whoa, judgment of God is coming. And so immediately Habakkuk begins to pray in the third chapter for mercy. And he said, Lord, I heard your speech. I was afraid. He said, Lord, I'm asking that that you would revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. And he begins to share with God that I know judgment has to come, but I want to be in the right place at the right time. And I want you to, I want you to have mercy on me, and I want to be sure that all this is right. And as we come to the end of the final chapter, the third chapter of Habakkuk, it's amazing to me. I sat in my office tonight, and I just started thinking about my life and how I often have trials and troubles that God didn't really have anything to do with, and then I start blaming him and all that. I'm, I'm not trying to get you on my personal life, but I started watching the testimony of Habakkuk tonight in my office, and I thought, oh, dear God, I don't want to miss you. 
I want to be lined up wherever mercy's being poured out. I, I want to be right there. Where, whatever you're blessing, that's where I want to be. I'm not just asking you to bless me for the sake of being blessed. I want to find out what you're blessing, and I want to go do that. I want to be where your mercy is. And so all of a sudden, Habakkuk begins to give God praise for the, the power of, of his might and the judgment of the Lord and all those things, and, and I'm closing very quickly. He walks through all the things that he saw God do and all the vision that he saw. The Lord had told him to write down and make plain. And we get to the very end of the chapter in verse 18, and he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet. Somebody say the secret of the third prince. He said, I'm going to let the Lord order my steps. Because he can make my feet like hinds feet. He will make me to walk upon my high places. The Lord will order my steps. But I cannot allow my steps to be altered because of what's happening to so and so over here. I can't allow my steps to be altered because... This politician's doing this, and this guy's doing that, and oh my goodness, all the chaos and confusion. Do yourself a favor. Get rid of as much chaos and confusion as you can. Look off in the distance in a prayer room and say, all of this chaos is happening in our world, COVID, I want it to go away, I'm sick of it, it's a cuss word, I'm tired of hearing it. All the things that I want God to fix, they're not fixed yet, yet. I don't know why God don't just wipe this stupid disease out. I don't know why he I don't know why he hadn't yet. I don't know. Yet I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. I feel like telling somebody tonight, you're not going to find joy listening to everybody's negative report. Sometimes the best thing you could do is just shut off that TV and shut off that news. Put your Facebook down. And figure out the secret of the third prince. I think I see a light in the distance. And that's where I'm headed. I'm not headed to the top of my friends list. I'm not headed to the top of my timeline. I'm not headed to the top of Instagram. I'm not headed to the top of the news channel. I'm headed towards the light. I'm headed towards the end of this thing. There is a secret to finishing this race. you got to get your eyes off this present world. And you've got to start looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. I didn't start to stop. I started to finish. Let's stand together tonight.